Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Have you thought about raising capital to do bigger deals? There's a ton of money to be made in real estate syndication, but you sure better know what you're doing. In this show from the archives, we'll have an attorney who will show you how to practice safe syndication today on the Real Estate Guys. City was ranked number one on Clear Capital's list of highest performing metro markets just this February. It was Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners. If you haven't heard, Atlanta has just begun an incredible road to recovering real estate values. With an unprecedented demand from investors and a shrinking supply of inventory, properties in the Atlanta market are poised for tremendous growth over the next few years. At Georgia Residential Partners, our mission is to help as many investors as possible buy turnkey cash-flowing properties in the Atlanta metro area with as little headache as possible. With conventional and non-conventional financing available, we can help just about any investor in any number of situations buy residential properties in this market. Check us out online at gainvesting.com or call our office at 770-924-5450. Don't let this window of opportunity pass you by. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Helms. With me, as always, co-host, financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. How are you? Great. Boy, you had a great show last week and a lot of response. This, I think we struck a nerve. I think people are interested in uh, in the topic, and we're going to kind of continue that discussion today. I don't know if that qualifies for the understatement of the year, but uh, it's definitely <laughs> in the running. I mean, it was amazing. You know, I, I tell you, I track how the show, because we, you know, we do the radio show on regular radio, and then when it lands in the podcasting, I always track how it's doing in iTunes. Yeah. And the one of the shows we did a few weeks back, I don't know how long ago it was, was Getting Started. And that show stayed up in the top rankings for a long, long time. And we thought, you know, gosh, there's a lot of people out there right now. You think, well, people aren't going to be interested in real estate because real estate's an asset class that's kind of been in the dumper. But I think people have started to figure out now might be a good time to get in. And they're trying to figure out how to do that. The tide is turning for sure. There is great opportunity. A lot of the ugliness has made it out of the market. We're, we're not out of the woods yet, but I think there is a renewed enthusiasm of, of, of lots of different styles of real estate investing. Uh, we talked about last week. If you haven't heard last week's show, you got to go back and uh, check it out because uh, we're talking about how to create a full-time income starting part-time in real estate and being able to take advantage of what we think is probably the best buyer's market we're going to see in our lifetime. How do you really do that? And there's a lot of nuances there, but there's great opportunity today and we're super excited about that. How could you not be? I mean, you know, you get a convergence of, of downward pressure on prices. You've got interest rates that are relatively low historically. You've got a huge growing uh, pool of renters coming in. You don't have a lot of new inventory coming online because of lack of construction financing, low builder confidence. A lot of builders got wiped out in this last recession. They're not even there to build anything if they wanted to. Uh, everybody's taking a very cautious approach. And yet, you know, you're starting to see signs that we, you know, we've hit bottom in a lot of markets and some markets have actually turned around. Certain markets are actually creating jobs. You know, if you look at the macro, you go, oh, the, the, the economy's dead. But there are certain areas that are actually doing pretty well. You know, it's interesting because our guest today, last time he was in the show, we were actually talking about international investing. And uh, you and I have investments in a marketplace that has increased 20% annualized for the last three years. So you can't let the fact that you say live in the United States mean that 
all of your real estate mindset is about the U.S. There are places in the world that have been vibrant markets in the last couple of years. Yes, the economic collapse has definitely had global ramifications. But even within that, there are sub-markets in the United States of America. There are international real estate markets that have flourished in the last couple of years. Well, I mean, the big question is, I mean, do you think in your heart of hearts that the United States is over? I mean, do you think that we're not going to rebound? Do you think we're not going to figure out how to work through our issues? Do you think we're not going to be competitive on the world? We're going to figure it out. And until we figure it out, everything's on sale. And for people who understand that the time to buy is when prices are low and the numbers make sense, then 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 this is a great time to, to be excited about that. And I think that's indicative. You know, that if you if you look at how many people are searching for real estate investing now, that number is coming up. You look at how many people downloaded the show on getting started, that number's coming up. You look at the overwhelming response to people who are saying, Hey, I see the deals, but I don't have everything I need. How can I go put people together and actually syndicate and get to the next level? And especially the bigger deals, you know, those those bigger type deals. Based on that response, we're thinking, wow, this is great. The flip side of that is, how do you do that without getting yourself in trouble? Yeah, the basic premise of real estate syndication is that you're pooling resources. So imagine a simple syndication, and and we've certainly seen people uh, in our educational program go through this where, say, they get excited about real estate, they get educated, they get a property and contract, they don't have enough money to do the deal themselves, so they get together for four buddies. So there's five of them. The guy who put together the deal, found the deal, got educated, made the relationships in the marketplace, and then there's his four buddies. They each put in 25 grand. Now they got $100,000 to go do a deal, and maybe their agreement is they're going to split uh, the profits uh, five ways. So one person's sweat equity and the other person's capital. That's all great and fine, and that's a wonderful way to, to diversify, to make a profit, to all come together. The challenge is when you start pooling resources and money, you're now entering an interesting area of real estate law. And that's why today's program is going to focus on practicing safe syndication, the legal side of what needs to do. And we're excited to have an attorney on the program who's going to uh, walk us through some of that. So this isn't to scare you or to say, oh, you you got to watch out and there's so many landmines. But the reality is you when you're stepping up to the next level of investment, which is not just investing in your own account, but bringing on even a single partner there are just things you got to think about and do right. Well, I mean, you know, you live in a world where you think, hey, America's free and I can just go do what I want. If I get a bunch of people who agree, hey, let's put the money in, let's go do a project together. Great. We can go do that. But the fact of the matter is those activities are regulated. And you can debate whether or not they should be regulated, but it doesn't matter. They are regulated. And yeah. because they're regulated, if you're ignorant, which is no excuse, right? But if you're ignorant of, of that, then you can actually violate something that looks perfectly fine. Hey, everybody agreed. We all signed a you know an agreement. We had a contract between us. But there are procedures that you have to follow in order to do that safely. And beyond that, you want to be able to protect those people. You know, those people come in and you need to make sure that you've structured in such a way that their retirement accounts, their home equity, their savings accounts, their investments, you know, are not threatened by by the fact that they got involved with you. If you don't know the difference between, say, a general partnership and a, and a limited liability company, then you're going to potentially expose people to situations. And then, of course, you've got your personal responsibility. If you're gathering people's money together, you're, you've entered an area of real estate practice where there are some very strict rules so that you don't, you know, you want to be Donald Trump. You don't want to be Bernie Madoff. Yes, that is an excellent point for sure. And uh, there are there's the right way to do things and there's the wrong way to do things and there's a safe way to do things. But what we've seen in the last three years is what happens when deals go bad. A lot of group investors, people that put together either just, hey, a handshake deal or a bunch of buddies to go buy something, relied on what we call the good deal defense. 
If you bought a property in 2003 with a bunch of your pals and you sold it in 2005, no worries. Everybody made money. Everybody was happy. There's no big deal. But if you put together a group syndication in 2006 and found out in 2009 you couldn't get out from this thing, your basis in the property was worth a lot more than the property was, now's when it gets ugly. And so the way that attorneys think is they think in advance of all the things that could go wrong and then do their best to protect you ahead of time. Now, that might not be fun. It might not be exciting and sexy, but it is a super important part of you continuing to have a career in real estate. We want you to be successful and we want you to be responsible. And we felt that the responsible thing after last week's show was to get an attorney in here to, to just give us a reality check and help you understand the way to do this the right way. It's nothing to be afraid of. We don't want to discourage you in any way. I mean, we really want to encourage you because again, we see some of the greatest opportunities uh, that we've seen in our lifetime right now going on in this marketplace. And if you know you don't have everything you need, there are people out there who have money that are looking to put it to work. And if you know how to make that money make money, then you earn the right to make a living doing that. And there's a great opportunity to do that right now. And today's show is about helping you know how to do that the right way. And then the other side of it is that maybe you're the passive investor we spoke of last week, a person that just wants to invest in real estate opportunities. There's also a protocol there. You need to understand what you're signing, what it means, what is at risk, whether you're holding that interest in your personal name and an entity, what kind of entity, what jurisdiction, all those things. We're going to talk about that today. When we come back, you'll meet our guest and uh, we'll learn about the legal side of syndication in real estate. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Network. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. When it comes to positive cash flow, it's essential to keep expenses and vacancy low. Wouldn't it be great to buy a brand new rental house with a builder's home warranty in a strong jobs market? Now you can. Discover the Build to Rent program from Texas Investor Homes. Buy a brand new rent-ready single-family home in the top job creation market in the U.S., Houston, Texas. Our friend Ron Black has prepared a short webinar with all the details. Send your email request to buildtorent at realestateguysradio.com and we'll send you the link. That's buildtorent at realestateguysradio.com or visit the resource section of our website at realestateguysradio.com. Live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. Even better, invest where you have a solid team to support you. We've been hearing great things about Memphis, Tennessee, and Terry Kerr from Mid-South Homebuyers. Since 2002, Terry and his team have been delivering turnkey rental property solutions ideal for out-of-area real estate investors. So if you're looking for affordable, trouble-free, turnkey investment property, call Terry. Use our resource hotline at 888-510-6838, extension 118. That's 888-510-6838, extension 118. Or find them in the resources area of our website at realestateguysradio.com. Have you ever been frustrated with your bank? Denied a loan? Charged excessive fees? Hassled over late payments? Don't worry, you're not alone. What if you could become your own bank? Set your own terms? Interest would be paid to you. All your monthly payments could be reused for other purchases. Now you can. There is a cash management system that families, business owners, and investors have used for decades, which allows you to be the bank. For a free article from our friends at Paradigm Life, visit www.beyourbank.com or call us at 1-888-510-6838, extension 116. 
Hi, this is Lawrence Yoon, Chief Economist with National Association of Realtors, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. We appreciate it. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Today, we're talking about our real estate syndication, kind of continuing the theme from last week's program, the idea that you can put together a group of investors who are stronger together than they were individually, do bigger deals and so forth. And for the right person, that can make a, a great opportunity in terms of income and uh, portfolio and so forth. Uh, but what that also means is you've got to watch out for the legal side of the business, the very important side. And our guest today is all too familiar with that. Uh, please welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program, attorney Marisa Raul. Hey, Robert. How are you doing? Good. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. This uh, this is right in your wheelhouse, we say. This is what yeah. uh, you do. You spend all your time uh, in uh, real estate transactions and, and syndications and putting together paperwork and, and so forth. So uh, we appreciate having your big brain on the uh, show today. Uh, you know, a lot of people get excited about the idea of real estate and get passionate about going out in there and doing it. Before we talk about syndication, let's just, uh, since we have this opportunity, talk about some of the things you need to be aware of when you're getting into a real estate contract and purchasing real estate for your own account. Well, when you're entering into real estate, the first thing you want to determine is is whether you're going to be entering this contract, let's say, in your own personal name, or are you going to set up some kind of an entity in order to uh, enter into this contract? Uh, whether you're going to do the contract by yourself, are you going to bring in partners to the deal? So that's kind of the first step and that I counsel my clients with regards to entering into the contracts is really try and steer them towards not doing them in their own name for a variety of reasons, you know, including obviously the asset protection, but also there's a, a privacy component to that. Okay, so uh, that's just a you know kind of a homework assignment. If you don't have your mind around that, we've got the past shows where we cover that and well, understand about asset protection, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But we just saw a uh, an interesting case study where a guy owned like 40 units in his own name. Big mistake for a lot of reasons. So there is that side of it. So for your own account, you need to understand uh, the legal aspects of it. And you know, any contract that you enter into, one, you want to read it, and two, it's probably worth the ounce of prevention to have your attorney just look it over quickly so this is something you do in your practice you'll have a client who comes in and they bring you a real estate contract hey Marisa just got a contract on this great property hey here's the, the contract check it out what happens at that point what are you looking for well the first thing I try and do is put myself in the position of my clients what a lot of attorneys that, that I've had experience with they, they tend to kill a lot of deals and and I, I try and avoid that I'm not there to kill deals I'm not really there to make uh, really business decisions as to whether this is a good deal or not although I'll, I'll surely give you an opinion if, if I see something that that uh, that I don't like but ultimately you know it's my clients judgment call business call whatever you want to call it, it whether he, he actually does the deal or not I'm just making sure that the the way the deal is structured the paperwork that the contracts that we're doing have provisions that are that are fair and equitable for you know for my client and more importantly and this is probably the, the key is to make sure that the contract properly reflects what my client has in his mind because a lot of the times they'll come to me and say well this is the deal that I want and then I'll look at the paperwork and it won't reflect exactly what the what the client wants and so my job is really to try and make those two identical what's in my client's mind and what's on the paper we want to make sure those those are the same. That is such a crucial point. I don't know how many times I've heard you say, yeah, but the contract doesn't say that. Right. Because we we structure something as non-attorneys and we think we're being clear about how we say something. And, you know, there's kind of two levels of the contract. If you're buying a single family house from a realtor, you're going to use a standard contract and it's all, you know, the same contract everybody uses and the board's used to seeing it and not too much can go wrong. It doesn't mean you don't have it reviewed, but it, pretty quick review. On many of the bigger deals, these are generated contracts that are generated by an attorney or by a broker that are, you know, basically starting with a blank sheet. 
cheat. And, and so you think it says one thing, but there are legal ramifications perhaps in terminology that your attorney can bring to mind that, that you maybe can't. Right. And there's also what I like to call the what ifs that the clients don't think about. And so, you know, I just ask a lot of questions. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if, you know, you say, it says here that within five days something's going to happen. Well, what, what happens if that doesn't happen within those five days? What, right. are the, what are the ramifications? What are the consequences? So I ask a lot of questions and then incorporate the answers into the agreement. And then another th great thing that uh, you and, and I imagine most attorneys do when they look at, uh, at a contract is just kind of highlight for the client where the liabilities are. If things were to go wrong, just understand, Mr. Client, this is what you're agreeing to and this is what you're saying. Earnest money. Earnest money in a deal that, say, goes hard, meaning is released to the seller after a certain amount of time. Once that happens, you can't get that money back. So part of what you do is make sure the client understands what they're agreeing to. Right. The understanding part is, is, is also very important. So there's stuff that's not in the contract that I want to incorporate into the contract. And then there are things in the contract that I need to explain to the client and make sure that he or she is aware of the consequences of having that particular provision in the contract. If you're just getting started in real estate, the first time you have an attorney review a contract, it's liable to take some time. But once you continue to do it, I mean, today we would not think of entering into a contract that we don't have reviewed by an attorney, but the review can take 15 or 20 minutes in some cases because it's a form they've seen and they're just looking for the one or two parts that are different. On the other hand, if we have a completely different contract in a completely different state or jurisdiction with a party we haven't known before, well, then it can take a, a couple of hours to understand. And the biggest hesitancy that a lot of a lot of clients have in taking a contract to the attorney is obviously the cost. They're they're afraid that you know I don't want to spend a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars or two thousand dollars having an, an attorney review the contract. But if you look at your you know your HUD one statement and you look at all of the expenses and all the right. fees that you're paying to originate the loan to an appraiser to whatever you you add those all up. Adding another thousand or two thousand dollars to your deal to save yourself a lot of headache on the back end is certainly, in my opinion, uh, worthwhile. Absolutely, and I'll tell you what: if you're going to syndicate, whether it's with one other partner or anybody else, you better do it because that's additional protection. So let's transition into that. Uh, we use the example of a, a guy who uh, goes out and finds a deal and brings four buddies in, and each put in twenty-five grand. They're going to go buy a property. Uh, something as simple as that. They're all my college friends. I've known them for years. We do, do deals together. We go you know, on vacation, we go hunting, fishing, whatever. They're all buddies and uh, we know each other. What do I need to think about that might be different than if I was just buying a property on my own? Well, the first thing you want to think about is just all the sort of the legal ramifications of, of doing that. And a lot of people don't even think of that type of transaction as, as really a, a securities issues. Uh, they think, hey, I've got my buddies, everybody's putting in money, I know everybody, you know, what's the deal? There's, there's, right. Why is this even a security? And it's not always a security. So that's kind of the first question I think I always ask you know, myself, is it really a security or not? I mean, if, if you're three or four buddies, uh, you're pooling everyone's money and everybody's putting in, you know, 25% of the money and everybody's actively entering into a business or buying a property, you know, that ne won't necessarily be constituting like a security that you have to, to register or anything. But if you're the one who's actually spearheading this and collecting money from your buddies, and uh, you're then running the show once the money's in and you're making the decisions and, and in, in essence your buddies are just handing over money to you and you're managing that money and making the decisions, well now you've got yourself a security and you've got to ask yourself the next layer of questions which is, do I need to register this with the Securities Exchange Commission? Do I not have to register it? Am I exempt from the registration? And, and if I'm exempt, 
am I complying with all the requirements of that specific exemption uh, in, in order not to get into hot water with the, with the SEC? And again, this is the ounce of prevention part. If you do this deal and it all turns out well, it's great. It's the problem comes when things don't go as planned. And that's real estate. You have a plan, you make a plan, you acquire a property, and then how did you know that the red-tailed pheasant is on your property and now you can't build and your plan was to build? I mean, there's just all kinds of things that are out of your control, and that's what you need to be protecting yourself against. And, and, the, and the scary part for a lot of people is I think there's just a world out there that people just don't know about. And so when, when people try and put their buddies together, obviously that's that's typically okay, but you know, can you, you know, if you're short, if you're a buddy short, for example, can you right. just get a radio ad and, and, and start, uh, you know, advertising on the radio in order to get money? Can you put an ad in the newspaper? Can you put something on Facebook? Can you tweet that you're looking for money? I mean, those are kind of general solicitations that generally you're prohibited from doing if you're if you're trying to do a deal like this, you know, kind of a small private offering. You know, this and, is crucial because people innocently enough think that, hey, I'll just post it on my Facebook page that I'm looking for a financial partner. Those resources today live on forever. How many cases do we hear about in the news where someone tweeted or had on their Facebook page or on their blogs information that now is evidence in court? I mean, be careful about what you say and how you do it. And, and you know, the law obviously has to evolve with all the technology. So, I mean, I have not seen, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I certainly have not seen any case law involving Twitter and tweets and, and yeah. things like that. But, you know, think things like that happen. And I can certainly... I would argue that you know when you do a tweet and just getting a little bit of the into the social space, uh, that's going out to the world. That's the same as putting a, an advertisement in the newspaper. That's the same as putting a radio ad in the paper. And if some suddenly somebody you've never heard of before reads your tweet and says, "Hey, that sounds like a great deal. You know, why don't you give me some more information?" And then you know two weeks later he's cutting you or he or she's cutting you a twenty five thousand dollar check. You're going to have a problem because that's going to be considered a general solicitation, which is one of the prohibitions of raising private capital that you need to be aware of that most people aren't. All right, so let's uh, go to the, the next level. So you've done a couple of deals with your buddies and all's good. And uh, if, if you're in the position where now, okay, I've got to now go to maybe outside capital, people that I don't know as well, that I haven't had a 10-year relationship with, now what are the things that I need to be worried about as a promoter or syndicator? Well, the, the first thing you want, let me just backtrack here. I'm going to assume that we're doing a, a certain type of deal where you're not going to register it with the SEC. That's, that's something that's very expensive to do. That's something not, not something you really want to be in the business of doing, certainly at the levels that we're talking about, even a $5 million deal. Uh, that's just a lot of legal work. It's a lot of attorney fees. It's a lot of uh, it's just a lot of expense and time. So we're trying to fall into some type of exemption from registration, which is what most people do. And, and so there are several different exemptions, are and several, that's on a case-specific basis. They are in case-specific. But the most common one, for example, in, in these scenarios is if you have some kind of a pre-existing relationship with the individual that's investing in your property, uh, you find them not through general solicitation. So again, you can't put ads in the newspaper. You can't put a radio advertisement, a TV spot, trying to advertise a deal. You've got to just make sure that you have some kind of connection with the person writing you a check. It's not somebody off the street. And that you have some kind of a rapport with that person and, and some kind of pre-existing relationship and that you know what the kind of risks that they can bear. One of the other things that's very important, for example, is to figure out, you know, whether they're an accredited investor or not. And that's, you know, that's a defined term. You've got to make sure you know what that means. And, and the term has changed And recently. the term has changed. And it's interesting because the term changed uh, middle of last year now. It's 2011. So middle of last year with those whole financial uh, regulation reforms that were passed by Congress. But if you go to the SEC website and you pull up the current definition of accredited investors, they haven't gotten around 
to changing the definition yeah, okay. yet. So even though the new definition of an accredited investor is, is law, it's not in the uh, formal definition of the, the SEC. And they're working on that, and they're going to probably, by the end of this year, have a revised uh, definition. But if you don't know that, that that happened and you haven't been speaking with your attorney, you're not going to be aware of those uh, changing laws. And, and let, let's get our mind around why this is. If you're going to invest in anything, there is a level of competency that you should be expected to have. And the government, the U.S. government, other governments typically have regulations in place to protect consumers from being swindled, from having their life savings go down the toilet. We un understand that. Whether or not, as Russ would say, you agree with the politics of it or not, doesn't matter. The law is the law in the jurisdiction that you're in. So you need to understand that. And that's why you have to have an attorney on your team who operates in that jurisdiction in that area. So we're throwing a lot of terms today. We're really trying to just create awareness. Obviously, in an hour radio show, we're not going to cover it uh, exhaustively. But you have to understand if you're soliciting money from people to do a deal, they've got to have an understanding, a level of sophistication. They have to be uh, the right kind of person and have the right kind of investment parameters in their life to make a good fit. So there's the deal part of that. And then there's the legal part of that. And you may have the greatest intentions in the world. You may have the highest ethics there are, but there are protocols and paperwork that has to be put in place uh, to, to do this. And so let's talk about that side, because I know you spend a lot of your time crafting uh, documents. Certainly, uh, you have uh, the contractual side, uh, getting into a deal. You have agreements between partners, what that's going to look like. And then you have the legal disclosures and things like private placement memorandums and articles of incorporation, all the things that, uh, that are associated with entities. Walk us through what some of the paperwork people are going to have to understand is going to yeah. look like. Well, the paperwork, first and foremost, the, the type of paperwork that you're going to have to issue will depend on the category of people that you have. And so, for example, if you have exclusively accredited investors in your deal, and again, that's a defined term if you, you, know, if you make over a certain amount of money or have a certain amount of net worth, then the amount of paperwork that you need to um, submit is, is a lot less because the government just assumes that they're sophisticated. You know, they, if they have a million dollars of net worth, they just figured you know what you're doing. And right. whether you agree with that or not, that's just the way it is. We've and all so, met up people with that kind of money that don't know what they're doing exactly. and, and vice versa. But that's, those are the rules. And so if everybody that you're dealing with is an accredited investor, there's no, there's no need, at least there's no legal requirement for you, for example, to, to do a whole what's called a private placement memorandum. And what a private placement memorandum is, a PPM, it's just a document that is essentially full of all of the disclosures, material disclosures, the, the quote-unquote important uh, disclosures and, and all the risks or potential risks that are in the deal. And so you're just letting the prospective investor know, here's a deal and I've told you all about the exciting part of the deal, but hey, but here are the risks that are involved. Here's the important information you need to know in order to make an informed decision. And this protects both parties. This protects you because you're in, if you're the person who's doing the syndication, you're the promoter, it protects you that you've disclosed, but also protects them, lets them know a heads up of, hey, there's risks involved and here's what they are. Right. And that, and that's important for the, for the client, in my case, my client, because what you want to be able to do if something were to go wrong and somebody makes an accusation against the client, you want to be able to say, hey, look, you've already signed all these documentations. I told you about all the risks. You represented that you understood what all the risks were and uh, you know you can't now tell me well I didn't know this or I didn't know that and so it is a protection certainly from the issuer standpoint and certainly you know certainly the, the prospective investor doesn't know all the facts about the investment and so it's important for them to know that information but if you're an accredited investor really there's very little documentation that you're legally required to do typically an executive summary 
that you put together sort of with the deal points. And then there's a document that you must file, whether they're accredited or not, before the, the end of the process, which is called a Form D, which you essentially file with the Securities and Exchange Commission, letting them know that, you know, because there's no other filing. And so you do a, a private placement, nobody knows, the government doesn't know you did this. And so this is one way for them to keep tab of you from you, is just you file this form and it just lets them know that you raised X amount of money, this is how many people I have, et cetera, et cetera. Our guest today is Maurice Arold. He's an attorney and he specializes in uh, real estate and real estate syndications. We come back. More from Mauricio. Also, we're going to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize when we return. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We're the Real Estate Guys. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Are you ready to profit in paradise? Hi, it's Robert Helms. And if you think real estate investing means tenants, toilets, and termites, think again. Located just a short plane ride from the U.S., a virtually untouched paradise awaits. The beautiful country of Belize. When you go to Belize with the Real Estate Guys, you'll spend four fabulous days discovering one of the most intriguing real estate markets I've ever seen. With its jungle rainforests, pristine beaches, and 81-degree turquoise water, Belize is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. Plus, it's considered one of the top seven tax havens in the world. And why U.S. real Real estate continues to drop, Belize property is on the rise, and many experts think the best is yet to come. But don't just take my word for it. Come experience Belize firsthand at our upcoming investor field trip. When you join us, you'll discover the many reasons we love Belize, like tremendously undervalued beachfront land, super low taxes, ease of doing business, and so much more. Get the details at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events. See paradise for yourself. Click events at realestateguysradio.com, and I'll see you in beautiful Belize. Are you excited about real estate investing but not sure where to get started? Learn the secrets of building wealth through real estate in the comfort of your own home. In the Real Equity Home Study Course, professional investor Robert Helms and his team of experts show you why real estate outperforms other investments. Stop dreaming about investing in real estate and start doing something about it. Order the Real Equity Home Study Course today at realestateguysradio.com and click on Resources. RealEstateGuysRadio.com. Hi, this is Sam Freshman, author of Principles of Real Estate Syndication, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program and or podcast. We hope you're enjoying the show from the archives on practicing safe syndication before we get back to the interview with attorney Mauricio Raul, it's time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize. If you know today's trivia question, all you have to do is hear the real estate-related trivia question, think up the answer or look up the answer, and then send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com, trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Be sure to include your name and your mailing address, plus, of course, the answer to the question. And if you're the first person with the right answer, you'll win a copy of Tax-Free Wealth, the great book by Tom Wheelwright. That can be yours if you know today's real estate trivia question. Uh, before we get to this week's question, last week, we were talking about creating power partnerships. And here's what we asked. One of the most successful business partnerships was Warner Brothers, which was originally formed in Pittsburgh. That's the real estate part of the question. And later in both New York and Hollywood, here's our question. How many Warner Brothers founded the company? The answer, four. Sam Warner, Jack Warner, Albert Warner, and of course, Harry Warner. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. Which U.S. state had the most foreclosures in 2013? Which state in the U.S. had the most foreclosures last year? 
If you know or want to take a guess, simply send your name and physical mailing address to us at trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Trivia at realestateguysradio.com. The first person with the right answer wins a copy of Tax-Free Wealth by Tom Wheelwright. That could be yours if you're our winner. That's today's real estate trivia question. We're talking with Mauricio Raul. He's an attorney who works with clients to put together real estate syndications and the paperwork required. And uh, before the break, we were just talking about uh, private placement memorandums. Obviously, there's other documentation because typically when you have a client that puts together a real estate deal, they're creating an entity of some sort. And so you've got all those documents as well. Yes. I mean, along with the creating the entity. So you're obviously got your articles of organization if you're doing an LLC or um, articles of incorporation if you're doing a corporation. You've got to do the operating agreement or the bylaws depending on the what structure you're using. And, and obviously, you know, depending on how many investors you have, you know, how are you going to run the company? What what kind of say are they going to have? How much voting rights are they going to have? Uh, you know, are there any priority returns you're going to give them? You know, everything that, that involves running the company has to be in the operating agreement. And then we typically, uh, when we're doing private placements, we also have a document that's called a subscription agreement. And that's just, um, again, a lot of disclosures in there. And it's sort of the document that whereby the, the investor commits to putting the capital into the company and, and, and become a member of the, of the company. And then the, the other document that I like to prepare, again, it's for the protection of the client, is some kind of uh, what I call a prospective questionnaire or, or an investor questionnaire, which essentially establishes whether the investor is an accredited investor or not. And that's just something that my client can then have uh, if that ever becomes an issue in terms of uh, um, whether they're accredited or not. It's because what we didn't discuss a little bit in the last segment is that under most of these exemptions, you are limited as to the amount of non-accredited investors that you can have in a deal. And so that number is 35. And uh, so if you're doing a small one, it's not an issue. But if you're doing a deal like of, you know, four or five million dollars and you're going to have 80 investors or however many you're going to have, then you just want to make sure that uh, you, you have a lot more of the accredited because you're limited to 35 for the non-accredited. Okay, so obviously before you can do the paperwork involved, what you really need to understand is the deal, the deal structure, which is obviously what you spend time with clients. But let's talk about the structure of a deal because there's so many ways you can you can do a deal. Lots of ways to skin a cat, they say. Uh, let's talk about real estate structure. Yeah, that's actually my favorite part of doing these uh, private placement memorandums. I mean, you know, the legal stuff is, is important, obviously, and that's where my knowledge comes in and the paperwork's the kind of the tactical. But to structuring a deal, a lot of the clients aren't even aware of the variety that you can do. I mean, the first thing that people ask or the first thing you want to think about is, well, are you are you contributing any money to this deal? Are you contributing cash or are you just contributing your sweat equity and taking a percentage? How are you going to get compensated? Are you going to be compensated exclusively in the shares or the units that you're going to get? Or are you going to take a monthly or quarterly management fee? Or are you going to do both? You can, there's nothing that prohibits you from taking a smaller, well, whatever, a smaller amount of equity and, and, and a management fee. Um, are you going to take some kind of an acquisition fee at the beginning uh, or, or some kind of fee there? And then in terms of the voting, who's going to have the right to, to vote in the deal? Uh, are you going to be able to change managers if you want to or not? I always stress to my clients that they want to retain, obviously, a level of control over the project. You don't want to do all the work, set up a syndication, and then a month later, the investors vote you off and you're out of the deal. I mean, you're off got the a, island. Yeah. You're off the island. So you want to structure it in such a way where you're uh, protected, but also where it's fair. I mean, you obviously, at the end of the day, want to make a, a, a fair deal for the investors. So there's just so many ways to, to, to structure it. And that's kind of the fun part. And it's all 
on, on a case-by-case basis. I mean, one client may want to do it one way, another client may want to do it another way, and it also depends on the particular uh, project. I mean, is it a project that's a purely an equity play where you're buying a piece of property with the hopes of selling it four or five years and getting a big equity chunk? Or is it a deal that's giving you monthly cash flow? And so are you going to be distributing the cash flow to your investors? Are you going to take a part of that cash flow as, as sort of your management fee? Or are you not going to take a management fee and take it in, in your capacity as an owner? I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts that you can put together, which is a lot of fun when you're dealing with the clients. Well, yeah, it's certainly going to look at what the structure is. And then based on that, that will determine a lot of disclosures. For instance, a lot of folks who do syndications are maybe already real estate professionals. Take the example of the real estate broker who is licensed to sell real estate in a particular state, and they sell on behalf of other clients, buyers and sellers. They represent them. They come across a great deal. They go, hey, I'll put together some buddies. We'll do this, and I'll make a brokerage fee as the broker as well as being the syndicator. Well, certainly that's got to be a different level of disclosure than the person who isn't licensed. Right, and as we mentioned earlier on, you're required, if you are if you need to make disclosures because you're dealing with non-accredited investors, you need to disclose everything that's material, like I mentioned before, important information and certainly if the person that's uh, trying to sell you the security or the issuer is getting paid on the not on the back end but is getting a broker fee or or, or it, it helps his deal and there may be some ulterior motive or what have, that that's all fine there's nothing improper illegal or, or, or anything like that but you do need to disclose that and so if you are a broker and you're going to be taking a three percent broker fee on the uh, on the sale of the building for example that you're trying to acquire that's important information to know because it does provide a little bit of a bias obviously as to the, the level of the project because obviously he's there's there's an incentive for that person to make that particular deal and, and as long as you disclose that you're fine and that's the bottom line when it comes to these things as long as you're disclosing 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 you can almost do pretty much anything you want as long as you disclose everything up front because then the investor is coming in with full knowledge and they can then make their own business decision as to uh, whether they want to invest or not. And you can't assume that they know or understand. You know, say that I, I, in fact, I have a friend who's a broker who quite often puts together these deals, and it is ordinary and customary for him to earn a commission, and he puts that in there, and he has to disclose, and all of his guys who invest with him, no, he's a broker. He's their broker. That's where he gets his clients. But the reason you have it in writing is so three years from now, and the deal didn't turn out so well, the plaintiff's attorney doesn't say, well, do you know that he took a 19 thousand dollar fee at the closing yeah well yeah because it was disclosed yeah and, and and so one of the things I like to do in my documentation is I like to have a little section of, of the use of funds for example and so you know you're, you're collecting four million dollars or a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars whatever the number is well where's that money going is all of it going into the property or is some of that going to somebody else that might be affiliated with me you know maybe he's my brother I mean, that's that's an important, I would say, a material piece of information that right. at the beginning, uh, there's a company that's going to get a marketing fee or, or some kind of fee. And, hey, it turns out that my brother owns that company. Well, that's that's an important disclosure to make. And so I like to make a little disclosure there. Uh, and, and like you said, at closing, if I'm going to get a – because a lot of the fees may not be included in the raise, like a broker fee or something that's going to be on escrow, you want to incorporate that into the documentation so that there's just no doubt that you've you've disclosed everything to the investor and they're going in with their uh, eyes wide open. Yeah, it, it's crucial that you, you do this. And, you, you know, it, it, a lot of time it's work that, that you're going to do and it's, it's going to be a cost, but it's an ounce of prevention every time to have the disclosures. And every time you think about it, well, should I disclose this or not? The answer is always yes. If it's something that might influence someone's decision, 
It doesn't hurt to disclose it. If you have to ask, you should disclose it. <laughs> there you go. All right. So uh, let's say we, we've got uh, you know we've got this deal and we're very excited about it and and uh, we're going to put together the money to, to go do it. Let's talk about the differences between folks who raise capital for a specific transaction and people who raise capital to be ready to go take advantage of a transaction. Say like a fund or a blind pool. Are there differences in in those scenarios? Well, certainly. I mean, uh, you, you typically want to, again, disclose as much as you can. And so you want to uh, provide parameters of a deal. And so that's a lot easier to do when you're you're going into the business of acquiring multifamily homes between $100,000 and $300,000 that are giving a seven cap, whatever, okay. your, whatever your parameters are. But sometimes you want to raise money as sort of a fund where you have a little bit more discretion. And, you know, maybe I'm investing in real estate. Maybe I'm investing in notes. Maybe I'm investing in gold and silver, I mean, whatever it is. And that's just, it's just something that needs to be disclosed in the paperwork and give the manager of the project or the entity the, the broad discretion that you're looking for and so that they know going in that you're going to have a lot more discretion as to where we're going to place those funds as opposed to a particular deal, which is I know I'm buying this particular building and we're going to go in and buy this building. Okay. Now, I know that you're not a tax attorney, but there certainly are tax ramifications involved. And when people invest in real estate, especially through syndications, limited liability companies, partnerships, and so forth, there may be that. If I'm the promoter, do I have any responsibility to disclose anything about the potential tax consequences in a deal? I always like to disclose that I'm not a tax professional. That's the that's the that's the which you just uh, did which Good I job. just did, and I think the issuer should also make that representation. It's like you know we're not tax attorneys. You should certainly check with your tax professional. You should run this by your tax professional, and really, quite honestly, if you're the investor, you should run the whole deal by your your attorney because the the you know in my case, I'm representing the issuer, you know, my client's the promoter and my client's the, the entity that we've set up. I don't represent investors. Uh, and so they should they should send it to their own uh, their own counsel. Um, well, that's a good point. Let's not leave that point yeah. because the other side of this is that if you are the passive person who wants to invest in a real estate syndication, these very same documents are going to be provided, prepared by that person's attorney. You certainly want to have them reviewed by your attorney. And you want, and, and you want to have them reviewed by your attorney and you want to run the deal structure by your tax attorney, yeah. your tax preparer, because... Uh, there may be different, you know, everybody's situation is different, and I certainly don't know what your tax situation is. And if you're, um, you know, obviously if you're investing, some people invest in their, for example, in their IRAs, that may, there's obviously going to have a different tax consequences than if they're investing in their trust or if they're investing in their individual capacity. Um, so, you know, my recommendation, and it's always stated in the documentation, is talk to your tax professional so that you, you again, you just understand what you're getting yourself into with, with the deal. You know, it may be that all your buddies have a bunch of cash they can throw into a deal, but I'll tell you what, one of the greatest resources for real estate syndication uh, investment capital is retirement funds. And I know you spend a lot of time there working with the various custodians and, and so forth. In fact, on this year's uh, Real Estate Guys Investors Summit, you're going to be doing a talk on uh, the checkbook uh, IRA, a new kind of wrinkle in uh, in the retirement yeah, account I've, world. Yeah, I've seen this uh, popping up a lot. So I've been uh, doing a lot of research on on it and I've started to do a couple of these for my clients and it's, it's a concept's very simple and it's just essentially getting your IRA funds out of the control of your custodian and into the control of an entity that you control. Just there's obviously a lot of pitfalls with that and a lot of dangerous uh, things that can happen, especially involving obviously your tax exempt status. And so we're going to talk about a lot of the danger, the positive, you know, there's always obviously there's, it's a great vehicle. 
but we're also going to be talking about all the the pitfalls and making sure that you go in fully understanding what the what the ramifications are of your of your actions, which is important. We're talking about the uh, legal side of raising money and capital for real estate investments with Attorney Mauricio World. We come back uh, more, and uh, we'll tell you how you can uh, meet Mauricio and uh, pick his big brain. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys Radio Program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the secrets of successful syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Are you ready for adventure and financial education? Imagine spending an entire week with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals. Join the Real Estate Guys radio show for the 12th annual Investor Summit. Returning this year are Rich Dad Advisors Ken McElroy, Andy Tanner, and Josh and Lisa Lannan. International developer Beth Clifford, attorney Mauricio Raul, and back for his fourth year, Patrick Donahoe will show you how to be your own bank. Plus, making his summit debut, top sales trainer Tom Hopkins, and returning for his second year, the incomparable Peter Schiff. Peter is one of the few people who called the mortgage meltdown in writing before it happened, so come and find out how you can be prepared for the next economic shift. It all begins March 8th in Houston. Visit realestateguysradio.com and click the tab that says Summit to learn more. Get all the details and reserve your spot today. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit or call 888-GUYS-RADIO to talk with our Summit specialist. Spend a week with the Real Estate Guys and an all-star faculty on the 12th Annual Investor Summit. Hi, I'm Steve Forbes. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Listen up. Hey, welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for uh, staying with us. We're talking about uh, the legal considerations when putting together real estate uh, development and syndication and investment and notes and all those fun things that uh, you can do. Great opportunity, but you just got to be careful. And our guest today is an attorney who specializes in keeping uh, his clients, his syndicators, uh, out of trouble in that regard. But I think one of the things we need to make sure people understand is there's a lot of, be- a lot of money to be made here. Say you put together a real estate syndication to go buy a piece of land and develop an office building or something. I mean, there are fees that you can make at acquisition. There's a management fee. Uh, you can make money monthly and you've got to pay a manager to get these things done. I mean, it's not uncommon for a promoter to make a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars out of a real estate syndication. I mean, that's why you're doing it. I mean, yeah. that's the whole reason behind doing a syndication. It's, it's to make money. Otherwise people wouldn't do it. And so, uh, there's nothing wrong with charging, you know, as much as you want or as much as you really, from a business standpoint can pull off because obviously you want to make the, the deal attractive for your investors and the the more fees you charge, it obviously re- re- diminishes the return. But if you find a great deal with a lot of equity or a lot of good cash flow, 
Uh, there's no reason why you can't uh, charge, you know, monthly fees, acquisition fees. You know, there are some people that, again, you can be as creative as you like, but there are some people that charge. If you have to go get a loan on the property or something, you can charge a percentage you know, of that loan that you've you've gotten. And for, it, for the work that you'd for, be for doing the work to put that you together you the application. To yeah. If uh, there's sometimes people that like to charge sort of a sales, uh, we can call it whatever you want, but, you know, if you end up s selling the property. Reversion fee. Yeah, yeah. And, and and you you spend all the time and found the buyer at the end of the thing, you're, you're, you want to get compensated for that as opposed to just putting it on LoopNet and having a, a broker find the deal. Uh, as long as all that is disclosed up front in the paperwork, you're fine. What you don't want to be doing is suddenly taking a fee that nobody ever heard of before and say, well, wait a minute, what is, how come you're taking this uh, transactional fee of $10,000 a month that, that nobody ever heard about? So yeah. um, that's the key again, is just Transparency disclosed. and disclosure, obviously a theme here, but as a promoter, as a syndicator, you think about day-to-day -day management, which certainly you've earned the right to have a fee. And then many times, of course, you're betting on the back end. You make a percentage of the return. Part of it goes to the investors, part of it goes to you to put the deal together. And boy, there is just so much latitude. We see deals that are 50-50, the 10-80-10, I mean, all kinds of different ways you can structure deals, and uh, there's no lack of creativity or variety. Yep, and uh, like I said earlier, there's no reason you, you can't do both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Like you mentioned, the, the, the ones that are more on the 50-50 on the equity side, typically they don't charge as much of a management fee or it's a, a purely an equity play, so they're buying a, a property and with the intent of flipping it. And then there are other deals where it's, no, it's a great cash flow deal, so I, I'd much rather take a monthly management fee, and so maybe I only take a 10% on the back end because it's where I'm going to make my money really was maybe on, on an initial acquisition fee, and now I'm taking my monthly management fee. And so there's the whole spectrum, and you know it just depends on the particular deal. All right. Well, uh, we are excited to uh, announce that uh, you're going to be on the faculty for our Secrets of Successful Syndication event. Uh, it's going to be awesome to have a, a group of folks interested in this topic. But if you want to meet Mauricio and ask him uh, specific questions and uh, pick his brain, you can do that there or on the annual Investor Summit at Sea. We're heading out to sea again, and uh, Mauricio will be with us that entire week uh, to share knowledge and do some uh, general sessions as well as some brainstorming. So thanks for your time, and we'll look forward to seeing you uh, on the cruise and uh, certainly uh, at the uh, event in April. Thanks for having me, Robert. All right. Very important that you make sure your legal ducks are in a row and uh, it's just the ounce of prevention. It's going to cost a little money up front. It's going to save you tons on the backside. One of the mistakes I've seen people make is they put a deal together and they're good people and they really want to, they, they don't want to abuse the investors. And so what they do is they defer all their compensation. The problem, and I'm a big fan of having proper modeling when you go into any type of a business venture, is you have to have all your bases covered. You can't defer all your compensation. If you have to do bookkeeping, if you have to travel, if you have to meet with lawyers, that money has to come from some place. Those are business expenses that are legitimate to the company, and your time is a legitimate business expense to the company, and you actually do your investors a disservice by not providing yourself enough compensation to be able to do a good job. At the end of the day, if you execute your plan and the returns are there, then the fees are covered and, and, and everything's fine. So just to me, that's something to be very careful about is your business model and make sure that you know that you have everything that you're going to need to do covered in your budget. Absolutely. I mean, I was guilty of this for sure. Having come out of brokerage, my background was I do all the work on the transaction, managing it through for 60 or 90 days, and I only get paid at the very end. So when I started doing real estate syndications, 100% of my compensation came at the back. And it was people would ask, well, now what about uh, office expense? What about travel? It's like, oh, I'll pay for that. I'll 
you don't stop to think, well, that's great if you have the ability to, but that's not duplicatable. And it's also not fair in the real world to say, well, you can't expect that to happen. You've, there's got to be fees. And now the, the other side of it is you see these deals, I get these deals on my desk where the promoter's taking a $400,000 fee on day one. It's like, okay, well, I made my money. Good luck for you guys, right? There's there's a healthy balance there. And part of what you need to understand is what is fair, what is equitable, and what makes sense. And and you're exactly right. You've got to have that understanding from the beginning. And I think Mauricio's point was, you know, disclose that. So the, the way we, we merge those together is you come up with the concept, the model for what you want to do, and then run it past your attorney. Absolutely. And your accountant, you know, make sure that you have all the bases covered. And obviously, you know, you learn as you go along. In the beginning, your expenses are going to be high because because your learning curve is going to be high. You do three, four deals, and you know, first time you do a PPM, you spend a bunch of money, and you, you're, you're spending a lot of time with the attorney because you're learning. But as you go through that, your, your learning curve comes down, and you find deal structures that you're most comfortable with. You understand what's realistic operating budget based on the team and the way you've got yourself organized, and then you begin to get economies of scale and economies of experience. But if you continue to persist and work on your modeling and, and, and look at your metrics, uh, you will get better and more efficient. And when you're, you know, what do they say about when you do a startup? It takes three to five years to really hit your stride, right? Yep. But if you do it, the one thing that's great about it is the same, it's almost the same amount of work it takes to do a $3 million or a $5 million deal. You can do a $20 million or a $30 million deal. And as you've been proving your track record and your investors begin to step up and tell their friends, and again, you know, Mauricio covered some of the legal things about how you bring new people into your world. The thing is, those fees can start to get really big. That's how mutual fund managers, the guy managing a billion dollar mutual fund makes a ton of money compared to a guy managing a $100 million fund. So you want to grow your the amount of money that you have under management, if you will. So coming up March 28th and 29th in Dallas, Texas, it's the much anticipated return of the secrets of successful syndication, two full days of the nuts and bolts of finding deals, raising capital, building your business, putting together a team, mitigating risk, and creating full-time income from doing bigger deals. If you're a successful real estate investor looking to leverage your experience and skill set, or you're looking for an entrepreneurial opportunity that takes advantage of what's happening in the economy today, this event may be for you. All the details are on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Just click on events and look for the secrets of successful syndication. And there's an early bird discount before February 15th, so grab your spot. Yep, absolutely. I mean, we created this event because we know that there's a ton of opportunity out there and people would like to know how to do it. And they want to take control over their own destiny. You know, they're, they're looking at their life going, you know what, I'm not sure my job is going to be there two years from now. I'm not sure my company is going to be here two years from now, or I'm tired of trading time for dollars. I'm a real estate professional. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. And I get up every day and I have to just, I trade time for dollars and I can't leverage myself easily. Uh, I'm ready to do something else. And they look at the marketplace and go, man, there is a lot of distress in the marketplace. There's a lot of opportunity in the marketplace. I think we can go make money. What I'm lacking is investment capital to work with. Go aggregate that capital, set your structure up properly, take advantage of those deals, and, and, and make a great living. All right, big thanks to uh, Mauricio for his time today. Thanks to our sponsors who make our show possible. Be sure to visit them on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks to our engineering team for bringing you the show. And thanks to you, our listener. Make sure you spread the word about the Real Estate Guys. Until next week, go make some equity happen. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. 
Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor, Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys radio show.